Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Your Bibles and go with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number eight this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you. And uh, you can pick up that copy of God's word and follow along with us. And in fact, if you don't have a Bible at all, that would be our gift to you. We'd want you to have that with, uh, uh, with you as you go. And uh, we believe there's nothing more important than having a copy of God's word in your hand in your home, and in your heart. And uh, so please take that with you as you go from this place. Romans chapter number eight. And if you found your place, and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word? The book of Romans chapter number eight. So how you'll find that is across the top of the page. It says the word Romans. And then chapter is the big number. Okay, so you can look for big number eight. That's what we call a chapter. And then the verse, which is the smaller number, is verse number 12. So Romans chapter 8, verse 12, and we're going to read all the way down to verse number 17. That's the address for where we're hanging out in God's Word. That's how you can think of that, all right? Romans chapter number 8. This is what I believe to be one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Paul is giving us... Um, a dissertation of sorts of what it means now to live this thing called the Christian life. What does it mean to be a believer? What happened to you when you became a believer? What took place in you when you became a believer? Okay, your your destiny was changed. You're headed headed for heaven, but is that it? And I just just hang on till you get there? Make the best of it? Or is there something else Something more. What Paul is telling us in Romans 8 is there's something more. It's something so much more beautiful than just that. Yes, heaven is sweet. And the promise of heaven is beautiful. And the hope of heaven gives us strength. But there's so much more for us as believers, as Christians. And that so much more is found in what God does for us when he gave us his spirit. When did you get his spirit? The Bible teaches us that you were given the Holy Spirit of God at the moment of salvation. So the minute you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the minute you professed him to be your Lord and Savior, man, the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in your life. We've already done uh, studies on that or about that, so I'm not going to review that this morning. But this, this is what we believe about the Holy Spirit of God. It's not some extra thing that you get later. It's not not a a special endeavoring for only the most spiritual among us. No, when you became a believer, the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in your heart. And he seals you and he holds you and he gives you strength. Everything Romans 8, right? Everything Romans 8. So that's what what we're studying. We're calling this study in Romans 8, we're calling it the life uh, with the Spirit. I told you this would be about six sermons. I think I told you it was six. We're on sermon number five. <laughs> so we're not making good time through this chapter. That's what that means, okay? Now look at verse number 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, we, we talked about these verses last week, The the important thing to understand in these two verses is that phrase, through the Spirit. 
But if we, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. For as many are as, this is what we're talking about today. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the Spirit. Look at, look at, the, look at the word, it's a small s. For ye have not received the Spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the Spirit, capital S. Ye've received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, small s, capital S. The Holy Spirit of God witnesses, testifies, reminds our spirit, small s. The Holy Spirit of God beareth witness with our spirit. What does it tell us? That we are the children of God. So, so listen to his logic. If you're led by the Spirit, you're the sons of, the, of God. If, if you're led by the Spirit of God, you're the sons of God. You listen to his logic. If the Spirit is witnessing in you that you are the children of God, verse from 17, if children, then heirs. Wow. This is what God brought me into his family. God adopted me to his family. What does that mean? It means I'm also now an heir. Yeah. All that is of God is for me. It gets better. And if heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So, so we're not treated as the, the unwanted member of the family, the ugly duckling of sorts. No, 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 no. If, if the children of God, then heirs, and if heirs, well, then we're joint heirs with Christ. Wow. And now, 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 now this is weird. If so, be that we suffer. What? What? What happened to all that, that we're heirs, joint heirs, inheritance, glory, riches, promise, heaven. What happened to that? Where did that go? Get Jesus, get Alexis. Where did that go, right? I would ne never have sickness because now I go to church. Well, where did that go? You, you see how this is so helpful to our everyday life? This is so helpful to where you and I live where you and I exist in this, in this realm of the not yet, the, 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 the not yet. We're talking about that more next week about this, this hopefulness of eternity and how we all groan, we all long for that. But, but what about now? What's our help right now? Here's this. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you're a son of God, and you can cry, Abba, Father, and if he's your father, then you're his heir. And if you're his heir, you're joint heirs with Christ. You see the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives us? It's the main point. It's the main drive of the sermon. What does the Holy Spirit, what's the benefit of having the Holy Spirit in your heart and life? Man, the, the assurance, the confidence that he gives to you and me as his children. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Use your word in our hearts and lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together.
Amen. We said last week that the reality of the Spirit's presence brings a responsibility in the believer's life. The reality of the Spirit's presence brings a responsibility in the believer's life. That responsibility is seen in verse 12 and verse 13. We are debtors. We are debtors. So the reality of the Spirit being present in our life brings with it a certain debt, a certain responsibility, a certain obligation now for you and for me as believers. What is that obligation? That obligation, he tells us, verse number 13, to mortify the deeds of the body. This is the obligation. What is the obligation? What is the responsibility placed on you and me as believers to mortify the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh? Why? Because whatever's done in the flesh leads to death. That's what he he tells us. Back in verse number 12. "Not Not to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, verse 13, ye shall die. So our responsibility is not to the flesh, you live to the flesh, you die. But our responsibility as believers is to live through the Spirit as we mortify the deeds of the body. The reality of the Spirit present in the heart of the believer brings a responsibility into that believer's life. He adds to that responsibility then verse number 14. So we're going to hang out this morning. For as many are as led... By the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's number one. That's the first thing I want you to write down. About how we receive assurance to be sons of God, to be the children of God, to be heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. How we receive that assurance from the Spirit. Here he says, verse number number 14. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This is one of those verses in the Bible that you can, it reads the same forward or backwards. Look, look at verse number 14. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You can, read this, you can read it the same way backwards. They are the sons of God, for as many are as led by the Spirit of God. So how does then the Holy Spirit lead us? How, how does the Holy Spirit lead us as sons of God? I believe according to the context here, the Holy Spirit leads us to mortify the deeds of the flesh. He leads us to live a life that is pleasing to God. He he leads us to live live a life that is honoring to God. But he also leads us to live a life that abstains from sinful inclinations. So we've we've already talked about this, but but he's he's reiterating the point. As the children of God, the Holy Spirit of God leads us to live a life that we are denying self, taking up our cross and following after him, that just because you feel like you should does not mean that you ought. Why? Because our feelings lie. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The prophet Jeremiah said. Why? Why? Just because I feel like I should does not necessarily mean that I should. Because I can't trust my flesh. I need something greater than me. And what God says is that is the gift of the Holy Spirit of God in you that leads you. That although you're sinful inclinations have been dethroned, they have not been destroyed. So mortify the deeds of the flesh. 
You're not a servant to sin any longer, Romans 5, Romans 6. You're not a servant to sin any longer, no. Now serve God, serve God through Christ by the help of the Spirit. That's what he's helping us understand. How do I serve God? I serve God through Christ by the help of the Spirit in my life. And this is what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. So therefore, we, when, when we are faced with our sinful inclinations, when we are faced with those fleshly moments, when we're prone to be given over to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, when we're prone to go back to how we used to do it before we knew Jesus, then what should we do then? We should immediately and decisively and radically and consistently mortify the deeds of the flesh. How? Through the Holy Spirit of God. You see how we do this though? Sometimes we go, well, I, I, I wasn't planning on doing anything. I was, just, I was just thinking about it. I mean, it was just this thought like, what if this maybe happened? And it, it was just something that was going through my mind. It, it didn't matter because I didn't follow through on it. And, and then the next thing we say is, well, it doesn't matter because I only did it one time. I can stop anytime I want. And, and then the next thing you know, man, we're giving, we're giving over to it. What Paul is saying is deal with it right there. Deal with it right there in your mind at the moment that it comes through. Because why? Because the mind leads to an action. The action leads to a habit. The habit leads to a destiny. So he's saying deal with it right there while it is in the mind before it ever becomes an action that you've taken or a habit that you formed. And then that habit reveals the destiny that you have. Paul is speaking of dealing with sin the same way Jesus understood of dealing with sin. You remember what Jesus said? If your right eye offends you, well, just cover it up and stop using it as much. If your right eye offends you, well, no right eyes are perfect. No, no, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it far from you because it's better to go through life with one eye than it is to suffer eternity in hell because of sin. If your right hand offends you, Jesus says, here's what you should do. Just, just justify it, rationalize it. Well, I mean, the rest of me is okay. My right hand's kind of bad. No, no, Jesus says, if your right hand offends you, chop it off because it's better to go through life maimed than it is to suffer eternity in hell separated from God because of sin. So through the Spirit, we're led to understand how to deal with these sinful inclinations in our life. How to mortify them, how to put them away, how to walk away from them, how to resist them. Paul is reinforcing the same idea that there is a believer's obligation to move strong, press on toward, go hard after sanctification. That's, that's letter A. The believer's obligation of sanctification. The obligation that because we are the children of God, that we should desire to go in the direction that God intends us to go. Now hear me on this. God does not ask for perfection from your life. But God does ask about the direction of your life. God does not ask for perfection from your life. He, he, he knows we're weak in the flesh. He, he knows we're tempted and tried. God does not ask for perfection, but hear me, God does ask about the direction. 
Think about the greatest king in the Old Testament, probably King David. The greatest king in the Old Testament, probably King David. Solomon, that was a disaster, right? Solomon started off really good and then ended up with all kinds of wives and all kinds of temples and all kinds of bad stuff, right? And then you have King Saul, he, he began the whole thing and that ended up as a disaster. And in between them, you have, you have King David who, the Bible says when you get to the New Testament, that David was a man who went after God's heart. David was a man after God's heart. Now think about that. David is a murderer. David is an adulterer. David, David is disobedient to God. God says, don't number the people. David numbers the people. David, David is a terrible parent. He has all kinds of family tragedy. He has all kinds of family drama. You think your family's got drama? Read the family of David. I mean, his his family, they hate each other. They're they're killing each other, doing awful, atrocious things to each other. And and then once David actually gets back on good relationships with his his son, he brings him back. His son leads this rebellion. David brings him back. And once he brings him back, he, he doesn't even talk to him. Like they live in the same city, in the same block. They don't even, they just kind of like look at each other and do this number. And Absalom sways all the heart of Israel to go after him and rebels against David. And David's own son, Absalom, leads this huge rebellion, drives David out of the city. This, this huge war takes place. They finally kill Absalom. And David says, don't, don't, don't hurt Absalom. I know he's the leader of the, of the insurrection and the rebellion, but, but don't, don't hurt Absalom. And Joab, David's right-hand man, throws the darts through his heart. He comes back. He tells David, hey, what? David asks him, what of the boy Absalom? What of the boy Absalom? He, he died. And David doesn't weep for his team. David doesn't weep for his soldiers. David doesn't weep for his loss. You know who David weeps for? Absalom, the guy he was ignoring for two years in his own city. You think, you're, you think your family's messed up? That's messed up. And then you get to the New Testament and you know what he says? Oh, that guy, that king, that parent, that dad, that's a man after my own heart. Because, here here it is, because of the direction of David's life. Every time David is confronted with sin, David forgives, or David confesses, David receives forgiveness, and David moves forward. One of the greatest confessional psalms, Psalms 51. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, and cast me not away from thy presence, and take not the Holy Spirit from me, and restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. It's one of the most beautiful confessions. But he's a man after God's heart. You see see how helpful this is for parenting? You see how helpful this is for your your mothering? Because you you watch everything else and you just wonder, am I just not the mom that I'm supposed to be? Why has everybody else got it together? Here's a newsflash, they don't have it together. That's, That's what they're portraying on Facebook, but that's not how it really is. You smile, you're going to be happy at family pictures. You smile or else. The kid's sobbing. They posted the one picture where he wasn't crying. See, and you're, all, you're always measuring this up, always feeling like, I just, maybe I'm not as good. Maybe I'm not as great. Maybe I'm not. This happens in marriages all the time. This happens in marriages all the time. Why the arguing? Why the fighting? Here's why. Because you have two imperfect people who've come into a relationship. Guess what? That's double the imperfection. It's not two imperfect people come into a relationship and now everything's perfect. In any married couples in the room, like, oh yeah, everything's great with us, right? 
No, two imperfect people come together and guess what? He has stinky feet. He doesn't make the bed. She burned the taco meat. Like, I mean, we can go down the list. This is, this is, this is every relationship. God is not asking for perfection, but God is asking about the direction of your life. That us through the spirit, that we mortify the deeds of the body, that we be willing to quickly and efficiently and immediately and consistently say, I don't want to go in the direction that is against my father. I want to go in the direction of God. I want to go in the direction of Christ. I want to go in the direction of him. How do I do that? Through the spirit. For as many as led by the spirit. God is interested in the direction of your life. Are your feet moving you toward God? Are your feet moving you toward his word? Are the, are the, are the thoughts of your mind and the actions of your body and the habits that you've now formed, are they revealing the destiny that you say you have, which is with God and Christ in heaven? That's what he's saying. For as many as led by the Spirit, uh, for as many as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. A, a word of warning here. I don't think we should think of the phrase led by the Spirit as some subjective guidance. I was in a conversation this past week with a fellow, and he told me that God had told him to move to New York. He said, God said to me, move to New York. So I said, what? God said that to you? We're at dinner, he was leaving, so time didn't afford us the, the rest of the conversation. But I wanted to ask him, how did God sound when he said that? What's his voice like? Should, we should, it, it sounds very spiritual. Listen, it sounds very spiritual to say, well, God led me to. You mean, the, the Spirit of God leads us in line with the word of God. Hey, I, listen, I've never heard an audible voice from God. I've heard the audible voice from Amanda who was speaking in place of God often. <laughs> she thinks she is the Holy Spirit, but she's not. If I had to listen to an audible voice, how many of you know Long Beach would not have been the location? I'm trying to put you at ease. But if I had to wait for an audible voice to go, Long Beach. I'm not going there. <laughs> How? Because it, it can sound, it can, listen, because it can sound spiritual. Uh, God told me. How did God tell you? What does he sound like? I want to know. Now listen, the spirit of God uses the word of God to lead the children of God into the image of the Son of God. You should write that down because that'll really help you later on. The Spirit of God uses the word of God to lead the children of God to be like the Son of God. That's what the Bible teaches. Not, not audible voices. There are so many voices going on in my head. I don't want to listen to the voices inside of my head. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Amanda says, David, it's okay if you talk to yourself. Just don't answer yourself, okay? If you answer yourself, then we have a problem, okay? I'm checking you in to a padded room with a white coat, right? How does the Spirit of God lead us? The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make the children of God like 
into the image after the likeness of the Son of God. This is what the Spirit does. That's, that's, letter, B. that's letter B. That's letter B. Number two. Believers' obedience to the Scripture. The Spirit of God leads us to be obligatory in our sanctification, but the, believe, but the Holy Spirit also leads the believer to be obedient to God's Word. We make a huge emphasis of that here at First Baptist. It's why we preach and teach the way that we do. We preach and teach the way that we do. Why? Because we are emphasizing the Word of God. It is God's Word that gives us lamp to our feet. It gives us light to our path. It guides us along the journey of this life. And Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But God hath revealed unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Okay, so then he, talk, he goes on to talk about how no one really comes to know any of the truth about God apart from the Spirit. And then verse number 12, here's what he says. Now ye, now we have, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now, what is, what's he talking about then? He, he's not talking about something extra. He's talking about inspiration of the Word of God. He says the primary responsibility of, this, of the Spirit in the believer's life is to take the things given to us by the Word of God or in the Word of God and to reveal them to us, these deep things, to open them up and cause us to see things about Him, about ourselves, about His nature, about His character, about His love, and to show us these things from His Word. This is how the Spirit of God leads in the life of a believer. And if you just want to be very over the top with it, you could say, yes, well, the, the Holy Spirit of God is leading us in our lives in a very over the top thing. And in that, God does all good things. Paul talks about God does all good things in our life. That's true. But I think we should, we should pull back against that and recognize that if it needs to be an audible voice, well, then we're all in trouble. How does the Spirit lead us? With His Word. And the Spirit of God will never lead you to do something that's contrary to God's Word. The Spirit of God will never lead you to do something contrary to God's Word. You, 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 want, a, you want a long history of how that went really bad, just look up all kinds of cultic activity where people say, well, God told me to do this. And God told me to take 15 wives. No, that's, that's not what God's word says. That was some random voice in your head, but that was not God. Because it is contrary to God's word. Well, God told me to walk up to that guy in the, in the office and just punch him in the face. No. That was not God. That was you. Stop blaming God for that. Now, God told me to just tell a lie. No, he didn't. You see how we do this? We do this crazy stuff. Well, God told me. And that sounds super spiritual, but it's actually not. For as many as led by the Spirit of God. How is the Spirit of God leading us? The Spirit of God leads us through the Word of God to make the children of God into the image like the Son of God. He's, he's moving in our hearts to move us like Jesus. And our responsibility with that is to... 
go strong and hard after sanctification, confessing our sin, running to him, putting away the deeds of the flesh and moving toward him, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, moving toward him. How do we know how to do that? We know how to do that through his word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What does God's word do in our hearts? What does God's word, what is, what is God's word do in our in our, in our in our soul. He leads us to live a life that's pleasing to him. Led by the spirit of God. It's, a, it's really good news. I only have two points this morning, okay? Number two, we're freed by the spirit of God. We're led by the spirit of God. We're freed by the spirit of God. So, th so this picks up in verse number 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit, capital S, of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, well then heirs. And if heirs of God, well then joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. Paul is reminding us of what happened at conversion. That at conversion, we did not receive the spirit of slavery. Instead, we received the spirit of adoption. Paul's already talked about this earlier in Romans. Paul talks about this again in Galatians. This is a recurring theme throughout the Apostle Paul's writings. This is a wonderful image that he gives us to understand what God did for us. It's what it is. It's an image that... Paul uses to help us understand what God has done for us. For we, for, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but what have we received? But, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. And because we've received, capital S, spirit of adoption, thereby, whereby, because we have the spirit of adoption, because the Holy Spirit is in our heart, we can then cry, Abba, Father. Do you see how that works? You see how that works? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God and are the children of God, because the Spirit of God lives in us and that's led us to be the sons of God, because of that, we can thereby, whereby, call, cry out, Abba, Father. To be adopted in, in a Roman context was this very radical and dramatic thing. In, in, in earlier Roman custom, actually the Roman father had power even of life or death over his sons. This is a, it's a wonderful thing called the patria potestas. The, the privilege, this is point A, the privilege of patria potestas. This is, the, this is the word Paul is using when he uses the word adoption. This is the concept. The concept he's using of this huge ceremony that a Roman father would go through with the copper and brass and exchange of money and they'd bring the child in and they'd, they'd do this whole thing and then the father would take him back and then they would bring the, the child in and then they'd do this whole thing and the father would take him back and then on the third time they'd bring the, the child in they'd do this huge exchange and then finally there it would be witnessed it would be testified seven witnesses had to be present would be witnessed be testified patria potestas which, which then th that father then lost all privilege responsibility that son lost all sort of whatever obligation or debt. This is a, this is a, this is a, a bigger part of, of, the, of the Roman adoption than of ours. Because whatever debt was, was on this family was, was 
um, obligated to the, to the child or the heir, right? So this is why when you get to the, to, the, to the gospels, one man incurs debt, and then he takes the whole family, they put the whole family in prison until all the debt's paid off, and they bring them all back out again. And so this, this is the same scenario here. All the debt was canceled of, on, on this son when he was given over to this family. And what Paul is saying is, God has not given us the spirit, small s, of bondage. It's not debt. It's not bondage, it's not slavery. God has not given us that. No, 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 God has given us the spirit of adoption. God has brought us over here. He's canceled all this debt, all this baggage, all, all of this uh, guilt. He's canceled all of this. And he did so through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what he did in the believer is he gives you the spirit in your heart that testifies and witnesses. He says, I was present when that happened. I saw it. I witnessed. I testify. You are and belong to God. There's no more being drugged back over here. You remember this? Remember that? How awful, how bad, how deep, how dark, how sinful, how tragic. If people in the church knew what you did, well then they would probably not. No, 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 no. The Spirit doesn't lead us there. The Spirit leads us over here to remind us that we belong to God. We're children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs, then join heirs with Christ. That all that is God's is ours because we are His. That's what he's saying. And all that is God's is ours because we are his and the spirit is witnessing that. The spirit is testifying that. The, the spirit is bringing that up over and over and over and over again in your heart. He's reminding you, you don't, you don't belong there. You know, the, the devil is not your father. That, 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 that sin was already paid for, taken care of. Ye have received the spirit of adoption. And because you have received that spirit of adoption, you can address God in such an intimate way. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. The most, the most intimate, the most personal way to address God. When you think in these terms, you realize how radically different genuine Christianity is from every other religion in the world. I don't think I've met any other formalized religionist who actually can refer to God as a father. But you can. But you can. And you can because of the Spirit of God in you. What does that mean? What does that mean, Pastor? It means the Spirit of God in you is what causes us when the wheels fall off, when the circumstances change, when the wind is in your face, when it appears you've lost control, when you got the worst news of your whole life. It's the Spirit of God in us that causes us to kneel by our bed and helps us get out a prayer to God our Father that even though we don't even know the words to say, we can't even articulate the pain that we feel, that the Spirit of God in that moment cries, Abba, Father, evidences in us that we are His 
and he is ours. And all the inheritance that belongs to Christ, your elder brother, also belongs to you. This is what the songwriter says. He who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. And you can go to God in that way. It doesn't, doesn't mean that that pile of bills that you left on your desk just immediately vanish. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that you'll have no, no sort of issues. All, all your medical issues are now eradicated from your life. doesn't mean what that, that's not what that means. The, the distinguishing feature of what the Spirit of God does in the believer is not eradicate all this, make life comfy and cozy. No, no, no. The distinguishing feature in the believer's life is when you go through that, the Spirit is witnessing inside of you, Abba, Father, you belong to God, but God belongs to you. You're His. And He is yours. You're His. And He is yours. And in this sense, the term father, that expression father is not a sense of triumph. It's not some kind of spiritual experience. It, it, it's a term of endearment. It's a word you cry when you don't know what else to cry. Daddy, help. Daddy, help. I'll never forget when Elena was born. She's born with a, a heart condition, non-sustained metamorphic ventricular tachycardia. Don't ask me to spell it, but I can say it. Elena was our third only girl, our third. It's kind of business as usual. Amanda and I were pros at this thing. Well, really, Amanda, I just kind of showed up. Go in, gonna have Elena. Just a few hours, I'm going to be holding my, what will be my only precious baby girl. Lena's born, and the doctors don't come to me, the nurses don't come to me, they all just rush, and they go over to the corner, they're standing over in the corner with Elena, and nobody's handing me lay, nobody's talking to me. The boys, it was completely different, I was like, you want to hold him, you want to, I'm like, no, I don't want to touch them, you clean them up, I don't want to see anything. And nobody's talking to me. I'm standing by Amanda. I'm holding her hand. I'm kissing her hand. I'm saying, baby, you did such a great job. I'm so proud of you. You're so tough, baby. She says, where's Lay? I said, I don't know. She'll be here in a minute. I'm not sure. The doctor comes over and says, Mr. Delaney, can I talk to you? So I step aside. He says, we need to rush Elena to Cozair Children's Hospital. It's across town. We need to rush Elena to Cozair Children's Hospital immediately. It's a problem with her heart. She isn't breathing. We need to go. You mean you need to go? You need to, no, 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 we can't, we can't, we can't go. I'm supposed to be holding her. Supposed to, a man and I are supposed to have some time together. We, what, do you mean we're supposed to, what do you mean we have to go? He says, you need to go. Are you going to go with us or are you going to stay here? You need to go now. And I remember that moment, just, I stay with Amanda. Do I go? What do I, what do, I do? Amanda's crying. Went to Amanda and I said, they, they, want to take a, they want to take Elena across town. They want to take her to the children's hospital. She said, go, go with her, go with her. I said, I don't want to go, I want to stay with you. She said, go. 
remember climbing in the back of that um, children's ambulance. It was taller than a normal one, a little bit larger. They, they had Elena in this aquarium-looking thing, and she's just laying there, apparently lifeless to me. And I, and I remember all kinds of thoughts just running through my head. Like, this is not the plan. We're supposed to have lay. We're supposed to pink blankets and take her home to this, this afternoon. It's supposed to be her brothers want to hold her. They're going to come up later and family's on the way. And we're sitting in the back of that ambulance going, I don't, even know what, I don't even know what to think. I don't even know what to do. The nurse says, Mr. Delaney, do you need anything? Oh, no, I don't need anything. And I remember all the pain in my heart at that moment. I can close my eyes. I can, I can smell that ambulance. I can, I can feel it. I can put myself right in that moment. The worst moment maybe my whole life. And all I can remember being able to do is say the beginning part of the Lord's Prayer. I, I, can't, I couldn't even get through the whole prayer. All I could do in that moment is say, Our Father which art in heaven. And I just kind of lose thought. Something would be beeping. A nurse would be poking or prodding. We get to the children's hospital. We follow the thing out. They're putting scrubs on me, making me wash my hands for like three minutes. I remember going, somebody tell me what's happening. Elena has, you have four chambers in your heart. And Elena's chambers, when they go to this tachycardia, they go to this run, the, the top two chambers pump at the same time. So generally your heart's beating like this. Well, then hers beat all this out the same time like this. Causes blood to stop flowing correctly. She'd had these tachycardias, these spells, these runs. She's laying in the hospital the next 14 days. She has this, we have this picture of her. She's in this big aquarium. She has this big mask over her face. She has earmuffs on her ears. She has gloves on her hands. The lights above her are turned really down low. And the nurses have a thing. She does not want to be touched. Oh, that was so predictive of, Amanda, of Elena's life, right? Do not touch her. She's in her happy place. I remember those 14 days. I remember walking up to the hospital, seeing Amanda. Sitting in a rocker, not holding Elena, because Elena didn't even want to be touched. If, if you picked her up, she'd just scream. She's just sitting in a rocker, the corner of the room, ICU unit, dark lights. See, the, the Christian's life is not absent suffering. The Christian's life is that while we go through suffering, the Spirit of God testifies to us. You're His. He's yours. He's your Father. And if he's your father, then you're an heir. If you're an heir, you're joint heirs with Jesus. And all the good that God wants to do through Jesus, God is doing in you. So that's why he takes you at the end of that verse to suffering. 
That's why he then turns it and says, if so be that we suffer with him. He, he's not talking about some kind of spiritual high, like everything is great. He's saying, in the moment of suffering, the spirit of God in you says, our father! And he witnesses that you belong to him. Amen. He witnesses, he testifies. The way those seven witnesses would have testified at the Patria Patastas. The spirit of God witnesses in you that you belong to God. And God belongs to you. The benefit that the Holy Spirit brings in the heart and life of a believer is the confidence and the assurance that we are his and he is ours. We are his and he is ours. Let's end it this way. Do you know today that Christ is yours? Do you know today that Christ is yours? Has there been a time in your life when you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not in your religiousness, not in your civility, not in your morality, but has there been a time that you've placed your faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone? That his life, death, burial, and resurrection is all you need to have the hope and promise of heaven to have the hope and promise of forgiveness of sin, that Christ in your life is enough. Remember my kids were really little, I'd go out of town, I'd come back in, Amanda and the kids would pick me up from the airport. They, they would say very polite things. Hey dad, how was your trip? Hey dad, welcome back. Hey dad, they're trying to be very oblique about it. Finally, one of them always pipes up. Did you bring us something? I don't really care about my trip. They want to know if I have them a gift. Sitting in the passenger seat, exhausted from a weekend at a conference or a camp with teenagers. Like, yeah, I brought you something. Oh, yes, he brought us something. Remember those moments? What's his is ours. What's mine is his. Because I belong to him and he belongs to me. You got us something. Kids picked me up from the airport the other day. Man, I was driving and sat in the seat. Hey, Dad, how was the trip? It was good. Am I get saved? Yeah, I got a couple of people I saved. It's fun. Kind of nostalgic for the days when they'd go, Did you bring us something? I don't ask it anymore. Kind of miss that. I'd like to think it's because they're just glad to have me home. They're just glad to have dad present. You see, this is what the spirit does in your life. You just want God present. I don't need his stuff. Just want him. Is Christ enough? Is God enough? Is his presence enough? No matter what diagnosis you receive, no matter what relationship is absent or present, no, no, matter, no matter how it works out at church, no matter how it works out at work, no matter how it works out with the family, no matter what's going on else in the world, is just having 
God enough. You see, the Spirit says, God's enough. God's enough. And as the believer matures, the believer comes to understand having God is enough for me. Is it enough for you?